You want to know how to win at Fantasy Baseball? Ask a guy who's won at Fantasy Baseball. We'll talk with Larry Schechter, a multiple Experts League champion and the author of Winning Fantasy Baseball, next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April the 14th. It's show number 17 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great show for you. We'll talk with Larry Schechter, multiple expert leagues champion and the author of Winning Fantasy Baseball. We'll discuss early season moves, daily fantasy games, studs and duds, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon reports on Cubs catching prospect Kyle Schwarber. In our new Playing Time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at Cleveland starter Danny Salazar. And also new, our Frequent Flyers commentary. Alex Becky looks at Miguel Gonzalez, Bruce Rondone, and Archimedes Caminero. It's another big Tuesday show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Time to talk about winning. We gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday edition, our feature expert interview with Larry Schechter, multiple expert league champion and the author of Winning Fantasy Baseball, Larry, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. It's been too long. Been a long time. Been a long time since we had baseball. I'm glad baseball's finally back. Yes, everybody is. And, of course, with the start of the regular season, that means it's the start of the regular fantasy season as well. Uh, Larry, how many leagues are you playing in this year? I'm in Labor and Tout Wars, the AL leagues. I've got three NFBC teams, and I have four teams entered in the CDM Salary Cap Challenge. So I've got a total of nine, which is actually... Probably uh, uh, the least I've had by a, by a couple of teams in a while. I think last year I had something like twelve or thirteen total. Do you find it difficult to manage that many teams? How do you how do you manage your time? Yeah, th- this this is kind of about my limit. That's why I, I cut out a couple of teams from last year. Like la- last year, I went to the NFBC in Las Vegas for the first time, and I thought, well, since I'm going to be spending a few days in Vegas for the NFBC, I might as well take a couple of more teams than I usually do, and that, that turned out to be a mistake. Um, you know, because the, yeah, the, there, there's a limit, a limit of how much I can effectively manage, um, and I think, you know, I think where I'm at now is a good, a good level. Although, ask me in five months, maybe I'll change my mind. And of course, a lot of it will depend on how you do. If you win all eight out of the nine, you're going to think, hey, I could have done 13 and won 12 out of 13. When you go to NFBC, are you playing just main event type games, or did you get in, get in on any of the uh, high stakes auctions? Uh, in the in the baseball, I've been doing just the main event and the and the uh, the prime time, um, and, and the football. I've been in some of the high stakes football leagues because I, I actually I like I actually I don't like the format in football so much where you know after twelve or thirteen weeks you throw everything out and you go into a play playoff right. format. You know, baseball. I like the fact that every you know the first week counts as much as the last week, and the overall championship and 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 the league championship is determined on the whole year. So I like that football. I really don't like how they just throw out the first 13 weeks and start over again. So football, the NFFC, I actually, I like the, some of the high-stakes leagues where 
um, after 13 weeks, you know, you qualify for the playoffs, and then you have like playoff games, which is a little, it's, it's a little, I don't know, I'd say fairer or something than, than when you throw out the, the 13 weeks in the other leagues. I, that's a good point, Larry. Have, have you ever heard of a football league that plays just week one through week 17 and accumulates stats like a standard baseball roto league so that you can win based on a full season's work rather than... Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the, the one I'm familiar with for that is the CDM salary cap game where they, they do it that way. Um, but I, I, I used to play CDM football, but the last few years I, I, I cut back on that. But that, that's a, it's a good format if you like salary cap for football. Larry, back to baseball. Uh, the season's barely a week old. How active have you been making moves? I'm having a problem with catcher, actually, now that I think about it. Um, I have Jasmine Pinto in Tout Wars, and he, he, he was surprisingly sent to AAA. Um, so I had to pick up, I picked up Carlos Corporan just to replace him in the AL only Tout Wars. And I've got Matt Weeders in labor. And as we approached the first week, I, I thought Weeders was only going to be out briefly. I mean, I was reading some things where they said he, he, he might be back by the, the first, the, the, like the second Sunday in the season. So I didn't bother to pick anybody up because I thought he was going to maybe even play a game that first week. Mm. And then all of a sudden, now they're talking about he may not be, he's probably not going to be back till May um, or maybe even later than May. So I just picked up Ryan Hannigan in labor to replace him. And in CDM, I had Jan Gomes, and as of now, I no longer have Jan Gomes. I had to drop him for for a different catcher. So I'm having a problem with catcher for some reason. Other than that, I haven't done anything. Well, you've you've made those changes because of circumstances, guys getting sent down, guys getting hurt, and so forth. And, of course, circumstances often force us to making moves that probably we'd rather not make. But what what's your theory about making changes just based on player underperformance a week into the season? How much rope do you give a player when he has off to a poor start? I mean, for a weekend of the season, I am not going to um, change anything based on a good or bad performance. The only thing that would affect any my decision is if there seems to be a change in playing time. Like, for example, I've got David Peralta on one or two of my teams as a backup outfielder in the NFBC. And, you know, going into the season, I wasn't completely sure is he only going to platoon, or is he going to be more than a platoon? So um, as the season unfolds, um, you know, I'm looking at situations like that. I have, um, I had, I got Daniel Nava on my bench in labor, and I was kind of thinking he's going to be a fifth or sixth outfielder and maybe just get a couple hundred at-bats, and he'll, you know, so he's a reserve. But after the first week, I'm looking at Nava, and he played a few times, and I'm thinking, well, you know, is Victorino, are they taking it easy with Victorino, or is this more of a platoon? So... You know, things like that where there might be a change in roles because if Nava is going to get 400 at-bats instead of 200 at-bats, I want to get him in my labor lineup. but I don't want him on my bench. Um, you know, but something like, you know, I've got, I've got Evan Gaddis, and he, I don't think he's even got a hit yet in the first week, but I'm not going to go, you know, cutting Evan Gaddis or benching him. You know, you just, um, people get hot and cold all the time, and it's magnified a bit in the first week. But if you look at any week any players had this week, and if if this were July and they had a week like that, you know, you wouldn't even think about, you know, cutting a guy or, or grabbing a guy off the waiver wire just because he had a good week. 
I think that's the interesting point. We tend to put a lot of emphasis on what happened recently, and we don't account for the fact that, as you said, had this taken place in, in mid-July, it would just been a week, and we would uh, give it the weight it deserves as a week amongst the 26 weeks that are going to be played. Uh, you mentioned that you're watching playing time for your own rosters. Uh, as the season starts to mature, what else do you look for as far as the competitive landscape with you and your other teams in your league? You know, as the season unfolds, I will start paying attention to your first question as far as if, if somebody is underperforming or overperforming, you know, right now it doesn't matter, but, you know, like say a month from now or whatever, if somebody's underperforming, overperforming, that's what I'm, I'm going to be looking at. You know, is there any concrete reason I can put my finger on why this person is doing so well or so poorly other than, you know, the simple fact that people just get hot and cold all the time? Um, and, you know, if if you can figure out somebody's not doing well because they're hurt, you know, then you start to think, gee, maybe, you know, I should drop this guy or try to trade him or whatever. And if, if somebody's hot, you try to figure out, you know, is there a reason why I think he should stay hot? But that, that's where I think most people um, tend to overdo it. I think if somebody has a good month or six weeks, it's so easy for people to talk themselves into why this guy has reached a new level. Like, wow, he's 28 years old, and now he's breaking through, and he's going to continue this 50-home run pace for the rest of the year. And it's real easy to talk yourself into that. You get a, you get a guy on, on waivers or you trade for him or whatever, and then, you know, 90% of the time, sure enough, they cool off because people just do that to get hot and cold. It's the same thing is true in both directions, right? If, if a guy all of a sudden cools off, it's no time to panic based on four or five weeks because he could just as easily turn it around. We see all the time where players will hit 220 in, Mar- in April, you know, 230 in May, and we get def- discouraged or, or worried, and then all of a sudden it's 320, 330 in, in July and August. Exactly. It's just, you know, what comes up must go down and vice versa. You know, the, like the one one person that concerns me a little bit right now is Evan Gaddis. Because I, I, ho- I own him on a few teams, and you know, for the most part, it's like okay, he just had a terrible week. The only the only reason I'm a little bit concerned is there have been some examples of of hitters going from the National League to the American League, and for some reason, struggling to adjust and having a bad first year. So, you know, I'm a little bit concerned about Gaddis. Um, more than I, I, you know, ordinarily I would just say, okay, he had a bad week, don't worry about it, but I'm a little bit concerned about him. I'll feel a lot better if he, you know, starts getting some hits and a couple of home runs. You mentioned that you, you like to monitor these guys who are underperforming and overperforming. What is it in particular, we'll start with hitters, what is it in particular with hitters that you look for to assess whether uh, a hot streak or a cold streak could be something more, something that, that indicates a change in level? Well, you know, the first thing, quite simply, is playing time. If a guy is accumulating more stats because he's getting more at-bats than I expected, then, you know, that's usually pretty easy to figure out. Like, you know, I thought, like if I thought Nava was going to be the sixth outfielder, but now he's actually platooning and getting 400 at-bats, that's really easy to figure out. Or, you know, if Jared Dyson got a lot of stats because Lorenzo Cain was injured for a month, you know, and now Lorenzo Cain is healthy again, that's easy to figure out. But, uh, you know, other than that, you can you can look at a couple of sabermetric methods like um, you know bat bit you know batting average on balls in play. You can look at that for hitters and pitchers to see you know is a guy just getting you know maybe just got a little bit lucky. You know the reason somebody's hitting like last year um, uh, who was it? Uh, Tyler Flowers I think was hitting like 400 
for a while last year or something. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, you know, Tyler Flowers is not going to hit 400. Tyler Flowers is not going to hit, he's not even going to hit 280s. And, you know, sure enough, by the end of the year, he's back down there. So, um, you know, just, um, you know, batting average on balls in play and a couple of other sabermetric statistics can help a bit. Do you get into the weeds, like with some of the stats, like fastball velocity, fastball movement, pitch movement, those kind of things that might indicate that, especially for pitchers, that a pitcher has developed some kind of new out pitch or some kind of new uh, p- delivery that's going to be a little tougher for hitters, and that maybe his baseline needs to be adjusted. No, I don't. I don't go into the weeds myself. You know, I will just look at a, a couple of basic sabermetric methods, but I, I don't get into the weeds at all. Um, you know, like some people do with sabermetrics. But if I happen to read it, you know, in a situation like that, somebody might mention it in a column, you know, a column on BBHQ or, you know, wherever somebody might mention that, you know, so-and-so has come up with a new pitch and they think that's part of the reason he's doing so well this year. So I will, I will take things like that into account if I, if I hear it or read it somewhere. A lot of people this year, uh, experts at various sites, including BaseballHQ.com, have been very enthusiastic about Zach McAllister of Cleveland for that very reason. Uh, apparently he's learned a new pitch. Uh, his velocity's back up uh, a, a few notches from where it was during his uh, not-that-impressive 2014 season. Is that the kind of thing you're looking at? Um, yeah, I mean, when, when people are successful and they're saying they have a new pitch, that definitely you know gets my interest because... That you know that sometimes you know it, it's it's always a crapshoot you know n- nothing ever always pans out but you know having a new pitch can certainly be a reason why somebody is now more effective than they used to be or you know a hitter having LASIK surgery or something like that could oh, be yeah. a reason why they're doing better than they used to be um, so that's you know that that's something concrete you can put your you know you, you can look at. Um, I, I like Zach McAllister. I, I had McAllister on a couple of teams last year, and you know, it turned out terrible. Um, but yeah, I, I um, you know, I think he's got some potential even even before adding this new pitch. I like him too, and I do have him on a couple of teams. Uh, Larry, when you're looking at uh, the external situation that might affect players, you mentioned playing time as the obvious example. What about guys moving from one team to another and improving the coaching? Uh, sometimes teams in the old days, remember when they moved to Atlanta, they'd get Leo Mazzoni and and everybody in the fantasy world, their ears would perk up because they think, well, Leo can turn this guy around or Leo can bring out the best in this guy. And there are teams like that scattered around Major League Baseball on both the hitting and pitching sides. Do you pay any attention to that? Um, I pay a little bit of attention, but not much. Like like AJ Burnett this year going back to Pittsburgh, you know, could be a good thing for him. Yeah, good example. Obviously, the team is better, the ballpark is better for pitcher, but also he seemed to do well with the, the coaching staff there. So it's a possibility. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like make any great prediction for AJ Burnett because of that. I'm I'm gonna say okay, you know, Burnett is probably gonna do what AJ Burnett is you know gonna do. But there's a hope that going back to Pittsburgh, you know, there could be some upside there. But I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna like spend two dollars more for Burnett at an auction or something because he's going back to Pittsburgh. So it's one data point amongst many. Yeah, and you know, obviously, yeah, you know, obviously, there are things like you know, if somebody gets traded from a hitter gets traded from San Diego to Colorado, then they're gonna you know hit a lot better in Colorado. And if um, you got like like Omar Infante last year was hitting something like you know something like maybe sixth in the order, and now this year he's down at ninth, so that's going to bump his value down a little bit. You know, so changes in the lineup, changes in 
where a guy is hitting in the batting order. Those, you know, those are some obvious things that you want to take into account when you're trying to evaluate why is a guy doing better or worse than you originally expected. Tout and Labor and NFBC, fab-based leagues, you have to uh, blind bid for your free agent replacements. How, how do you decide how much to bid on a player that you want? Uh, uh, that on a player that you want? A lot of that is a crapshoot. Um, you know, it depends on factors like, well, like, um, you know, I just had to put in bids on a couple of catchers um, for, you know, realizing now that Weeders is not going to be back until May, probably, or even later. I had to, you know, I had to either get Ryan, I wanted to get Ryan Hannigan, and then when Yang Gomes was injured, now, you know, Roberto Perez comes into play. So I wanted to get either Hannigan or Perez. And after that, there's really nobody, you know, even worth a dollar for the most part. Um, and so I'm factoring in, you know, Weeders, I probably need this guy for three weeks until Weeders gets back. Um, if, you know, if, if I needed somebody for the whole season, if Weeders was out for the whole year, I would bid more because I need the guy for the whole year than just a three-week replacement. But it's also a question of, like, you know, how much do I want to get the guy? Sometimes a guy in Fab, it's like, I want to get this guy. I don't care what I have to pay. And other times it's like, well, if I get him, that's nice, and if I don't, who cares? Um, but I, I, I really wanted to get Hannigan or Perez, and I'm looking at other factors like John Jaso just went on the DL and Nian Gomes just went on the DL, so there's two other teams besides me looking for a catcher. Um, so it's kind of like you got Hannigan and Perez, two you know reasonable catchers, and you got three guys, including me, right now looking for a catcher. So I bid something like seven dollars on Hannigan and six on Perez, thinking, well, you know, somebody might look at some people are going to look at them as like, oh, they're just like a one dollar catcher, so I'll just bid a dollar or two, but. You know, I wanted to. Uh, I thought that'd be safely high enough to get him, and, and as it was, it, it turned out it was you know more than safe. I think um, somebody bid fourteen dollars on Perez, and I bid seven dollars on Hannigan, and that was about it. So you know, I could have probably bid a dollar on Hannigan and got him, um, and saved myself six dollars. But I would rather I'd, I would rather have wasted the six dollars than to uh, have not got him and you know have nobody a catcher for three weeks. In Tout Wars, uh, in the National League League and the Mixed League, there was a, quite an aggressive bidding war that went on for Archie Bradley when he was called up. And in Atlanta, when Jason Grilly took uh, Craig Kimbrell's place, there was very aggressive bidding in the Tout uh, Mixed League on that. Uh, he was already reserved in the National League League. But somebody bid $41 to get Jason Grilly. Uh, how do you respond when you, when you hear stories like that? Some people think it's a great idea, others not so much. Well, yeah, that you know, that's kind of consistent with what happened in the NFBC. I think in the if you look at all the NFBC leagues, the bids for Grilly were you know probably like two hundred to four hundred dollar range, and some people were taking a shot on Jim Johnson because initially the the Atlanta GM said you know Johnson might be in the mix, um, and the same thing happened this week with uh, Miguel Castro from Toronto. The, you know, there a lot of very high bids for Castro. Um, you know, who may, you know, for for the moment at least, has taken over as the, the Toronto closer. Um, I think in general that's a pretty good thing. I think that in, um, in in bidding for free agents, the the one of the biggest times, especially in a mixed league, like the biggest time you can ever get a huge bonanza is somebody who just became the closer because a guy like Miguel Castro or Jason Grilly can go from a $1 player to, you know, maybe $15, $17 or whatever player. If if they're going from, you know, just a setup guy to now they're the closer. 
Um, and in a, especially in a mixed league, there's not too many chances during the year to get a guy on the waiver wire that is going to be you know that huge of a you know potential uh, impact on your team. So I think it's I think it's worth it. You know, it depends on other factors like you know if you if you already have a couple of good closers, um, you know you maybe you don't want to be as aggressive. Um, the people. You know, the people who bid four hundred dollars were more likely to be the guys who owned, um, like, what the guys who owned Joaquin Benoit or Brett Cecil. They were the guys, you know, more likely to to be the big bidders because they suddenly lost a closer and they're desperate to replace him. So, you know, I think that's that's a fine thing to do. Um, in an AL or NL only league, uh, when you get close to the trade deadline, you know, you got a chance. Jonathan Papelbon or Cole Hamels or somebody is going to be traded from the NL to the AL, and now you could have a big bonanza in in, in Fab. Um, but like that's near the trade deadline. You're only going to get the guy for a couple months. You know, here we're in situation. It's the first week of the year, and you're taking a big gamble. But if you get, you know, if you're lucky, and if Grilly or Miguel Castro keeps the closer job for the entire year and is effective, you, you know, you got like a fifteen dollar player for you know virtually the entire year. You can't do better than that in Fab. When I look at it, even if uh, somebody spends $40 to get a Jason Grilly as they did in Tout Mixed, it's almost like they got him as a reserve round pick in the auction, and so it's all profit. Whatever he does there, you can't really compare how much he earns with how much you co- you paid for him in Fab because Fab is a really artificial construct. You have to really look at it as a free player who happened to cost you some ancillary amount of money that didn't really count as far as the auction was concerned. Yeah, the yeah the amount the amount of money that you spend in fab is not you know it's not at all directly correlated to what they would go for if you had an auction today. Obviously, if you had a new auction today starting from scratch, yeah, you know, Grilly, you know, yeah, he's not going to go for forty dollars. <laughs> You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Larry Schechter, the author of Winning Fantasy Baseball. Uh, and Larry, uh, what do you think of the daily games? Uh, they're they're really gaining a lot of popularity, especially among younger players, but increasingly also among traditional fantasy baseball players what do you think of daily fantasy baseball daily games concern me because you know in my opinion they're too much like gambling um you know for me there's always there's always this you know question going back you know going back 20 years ago or more there's this question of is fantasy sports gambling and there's still some states like arizona where they regard it as gambling and to me you know, I've gambled before. I've I've gambled on sports before. I've gambled in the casino before, and to me, you know, gambling is like a a quick event. You win or you lose right away. And fantasy sports is like a season long, you know, six month in, endeavor. So to me, it's just you know, it's just not gambling at all. But you know, daily the daily games to me, um, I really don't like them because I just think it's too much like gambling. When I when I see an ad for a daily company and they say if you deposit two hundred dollars, we'll match your two hundred dollars. That's all I need to know. That's gambling. They're taking out such a huge percentage, a, a cut, uh, you know, in the winnings that they can afford to to match your two hundred dollar deposit. That's what bookies do. That's what you know, gambling sites do. Yeah, it seems like if anybody's giving away two hundred dollars. Uh just to get your first $200, they're fairly confident they're going to get both sets of $200 eventually. Yeah, now it can be fun. You know, a lot of people have fun gambling on sports or gambling at the casino or whatever. You know, gambling is fun for lots of people, so I'm sure lots of people have fun with daily games. It's just that what concerns me is there's a certain percentage of people 
that have problem with gambling, whether it's at the casinos or racetrack or whatever. And I'm sure, you know, there are probably some people who are, you know, going to end up having a problem, you know, with daily games because it becomes like gambling. Um, so that's just my concern. And, you know, other than that, I think, um, you know, to me, like just the whole idea of a fantasy competition is like a, you know, it's a longer process. It's not just like a one-day event. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Larry Schechter of Winning Fantasy Baseball. And Larry, it's a year or more now, last January, I think, that you published your book. Uh, I'm wondering, do you have any plans to follow up with an update on Winning Fantasy Baseball? I have no plans to do that. You know, things could always change. You know, I hopefully I'm going to be around on this planet for, you know, many more years, so things could change. Right now I have no plans to do that. I do have a couple of thoughts of perhaps at some point writing uh, a different type of book, not about fantasy baseball, but possibly possibly one about fantasy football and possibly one kind of about the, the, um, the industry in general. You have been very successful at fantasy football and basketball as well, did you tell me once? Yeah, but I, st- I stopped playing basketball like about, I don't know, three years ago. I stopped playing basketball. It was just, it was just too much. You know, just adding that was too time-consuming, and I, I, I have no regrets. I haven't missed it. If you had to sum up fantasy baseball success, what it takes to be good at fantasy baseball in a single sentence, what would that sentence be? It would be, well, being prepared and as part of that, knowing the value of all the players, having a really good sense of the value. And have, and you know also having having a you know smart strategy, and, and conversely, Larry, if you had to sum up in a single sentence how to be unsuccessful in fantasy baseball, how would you say that? I would say the opposite, kind of being unprepared, winging it. Somebody made a comment on a on a message board a few days ago where he said he he did a draft league for the first time, and he he realized like when he got to the later rounds of the draft, he realized he was not nearly as prepared as he should be, and he think he thinks that he really didn't know what was going on once he got to like around you know round 15 or something which is where a lot of draft leagues are won and lost everybody knows who the top three rounds generally speaking what players are going to be populating those top rounds it's those uh, late game mid to late game rounds where drafts are won and lost just like uh, in auction leagues it's the five dollar four dollar two dollar players that generally win you your league well for, for me i would say it's everything you know it's every every player on your roster is important i think people sometimes blow it with the early picks just as much as with the late picks. I think it's all really important. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Larry Schechter. And Larry, once the season starts, we always ask our experts here at Baseball HQ Radio to talk about their studs and duds for the season. Um, if, if that's all right with you, we'll start with the hitters in the American League. Who's a stud hitter that you really like this year? Well, if you phrase it that way, um, I would say Cole Calhoun is somebody that I really like coming into the season because if you look at his numbers from last year, you know, he had I he had something like 400 or 450 at bats, but he he started out last year mostly platooning and then he was hurt for a month, but the last month or two of of the year, he was the number one hitter, leadoff hitter, and he was playing full time. So coming into this year, he's somebody I really liked. I thought if he stays healthy, he's going to get 600 or more at bats leading off in that lineup and he's you know, really valuable. I had him at something, something like twenty-two or twenty-three dollars of value, um, and I got him in. Um, I got him in. Uh, I think labor, and I got him on a draft team. Um, so he's somebody I really liked, and you know, at this point, it's probably too late to like, you know, buy buy him low or something. Um, another one that comes to mind, Miguel. You know, this isn't somebody that I necessarily love, but 
Miguel Cabrera right now looks so much better than he did a month ago because um, you know there's some in, you know concerns about him being injured and you know, you know he might start on the DL and he's kind of at risk to be re-injured um, or he might take a little while for his power to come back and you know a lot of concerns about him but boy a week into the season he hit two home runs yesterday he he's looking good so far. Even stole a base uh, earlier this week as well. Uh, how about in the National League, Larry, a stud hitter that you like? When we were talking, you know, at the beginning about, you know, hot players, it's like Bill, Billy Hamilton right now, in draft and auction leagues, you know, Billy Hamilton right now is not going to be getting traded. But I'm thinking in terms of the salary cap league for CDM, um, you know, Billy Hamilton is a guy who probably a lot of people in the CDM salary cap challenge are going to pick him up this week because he stole seven bases in the first week. And a lot of people are looking at Billy Hamilton like he's going to steal 60 bases this year, and he was kind of like a borderline play in CDM based on his salary. But now people are saying, like, oh, my God, he stole seven bases, you know, so he's, he's probably going to steal 100 bases this year. i got to add him right away. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, kind of interested to see how many people pick him up today in CDM. Probably going to be a lot. And he's kind of on my radar. I have to consider he's not on my team because I figured he was going to steal about 60 bases and he was kind of a fringe player. But, you know, if he's maybe going to steal 70 or 80, you know, he, he comes into play more for that. And uh, like Miguel Cabrera stealing a base, Billy Hamilton earlier this week hit his uh, first home run of the season. Larry Schechter's stud hitters in the American League, Cole Calhoun and Miguel Cabrera in the National League, Billy Hamilton. Now, Larry, let's move on to some duds, guys uh, that you're leery of or downright worried about or just don't want on your roster. Who's a dud hitter in the American League for you? Um, well, I mentioned I'm concerned, a little concerned about Evan Gaddis, just simply because of this, the league switch. But probably, you know, hopefully, very soon that that concern will be cleared up. Um, I'm concerned a bit, uh, or maybe a little more than a bit, about Michael Brantley, who I own a co- on a couple of teams. I, I don't understand how a major league player who's very valuable to the team, with the training staff and the doctors they have available for major league players. I don't understand how a guy with a back issue in spring training, um, you know, they're letting him play if he's not completely better. I just I don't get that, what happened. And then in the season, he sits out a couple of days, and he plays Friday night, and he's, uh, the game Friday night, people, if people, for people that didn't hear this, he said at the end of the game he had a, like a sharp stabbing pain in his back. And... Um, I was surprised that he didn't like immediately go on the DL after that. I'm glad he didn't go on the DL, but I'm concerned, you know, back issues. Um, unless you really get them taken care of, they obviously can they can creep up on you. And I mean, I mean, you know, continue. And so, definitely some concern about Brantley. And I hope he's okay. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to find out he's going on the DL. How about a dud hitter in the National League, Larry? I'll go with Troy Tulowitzki, just because there's like a a 90% or more chance that we're going to just have the same thing with him that we always have. People people drafted Tulowitzki thinking, you know, this is the year that he's going to get, you know, 600 at-bats or, or even 520 at-bats, and, you know, he won't. <laughs> you know, it's like... It's like sooner or later, Tulo will be on the DL, and it'll be like the same old, the same old Tulo. He was great when he was healthy, but he couldn't stay healthy. Larry Schechter's dud hitters in the American League: Evan Gaddis and Michael Brantley in the National League. Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, Larry, let's move on to the mound and look at some pitchers. Uh, uh, we're looking for a stud pitcher in the American League. I'll say Sonny Gray 
I, I liked Sonny. Going into the year, I liked Sonny Gray. He was definitely one of my possible targets. But in labor and tight wars, I got a I got a good price on Kluber. So I I ended up I passed on Gray. Kluber was kind of my other target for a good starting pitcher. But I remember um, going into labor and then tight wars. I had Gray valued at something like twenty two or twenty three dollars. And I was having a conversation with Chris List before the labor auction, and we were talking about the lack of starting pitching in the AL because um, of, you know, Max Scherzer and James Shields and somebody else went to the to the NL and you Darvish was hurt. So we were kind of saying, you know, List was saying, like, there's only four $20 pitchers in the AL now. And when he was saying that, I was I was thinking, yeah, I'm going to add Sonny Gray. I think there's five. Um, so I, 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 think, I think Gray is... Um, yeah, I think he's like a twenty-two, twenty-three dollar pitcher, and he was going for something like you know eighteen or nineteen in the auctions. So I'll I'll go with him. An especially good get in the American League, as you say, with so few elite pitchers. Uh, the National League has lots of stud pitchers. Uh, who do you like amongst uh, the National League? One one thing I find found a little humorous in the first week of the season is that Julio Teheran. Um, you know, people were saying because Atlanta sucks this year, he's not going to get as many wins, which certainly I would agree with. But it's kind of funny that in the first week of the year, he got two wins in his first two starts. So I'm not going to say, you know, jump on him. I just found that kind of humorous. Um, I would go with, I guess I would go with Matt Harvey. Because when when pitchers come back from, you know, Tommy John surgery, they 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 invariably struggle. Their command doesn't come back for a while. They, they struggle for the first few months. They're not sharp. And invariably, people at auctions and drafts will always bet on a guy like Matt Harvey, like he's going to come back and be the pitcher that he was you know, from day one. And, and it, it's, it's almost always a mistake. Um, Adam Wainwright, when he had his Tommy John surgery a few years ago, Wainwright had been brilliant for two years in a row, but when he came back from surgery, sure enough, the first three months he would, you know, he was way off his ERA was like 460 or something, and his WHIP was like 135 or whatever. Um, but Matt Harvey, boy, he he seems to be the exception. He's, you know, he he was his control and everything was fine in spring training, and he came out with a great first start. So uh, he he just may very well be an exception and be as good as he was. Um, but I would still caution people from uh, from. Taking people coming off surgery like Jose Fernandez, when he comes back later this year, he's probably going to struggle like like almost all of them do. Larry Schechter's stud pitchers in the American League, Sonny Gray in the National League, Julio Turan and Matt Harvey. And the dud pitchers, Larry, these are guys you don't want anything to do with. How about in the American League? guy I don't want anything to do with is Tanaka of the Yankees. I mean, going back a couple of weeks ago, we all knew how risky he was with his arm situation. Um, but you know, it was kind of like, well, for the right price, you know, it, 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 for the right price, maybe it's worth the risk of taking him. But when he, when he then, not too long ago, said, like, don't expect me to pitch at full velocity this year. I'm not going to pitch at full velocity. I mean, for me, that was like the end. It's like, oh my God, I want, I would never, you know, have anything to do with this guy if, if he's thinking he's going to go out there and have to not pitch at full velocity. He's not going to be okay. So I would say Tanaka, the other guy. That I would that I, I don't want to have anything to do with him at his price is Jeff Samarja. You know, just my you know my opinion. I mean, Samarja is a pretty good pitcher, but he was just going like way too high in auctions and drafts um, for me. I just you know I, I just kind of think he's more like a you know fifteen seventeen dollar pitcher or something. And people were like you know just 
bid in on them, like you know, like he's a twenty-two dollar or so pitcher. I just, you know, personally, I just don't get that. He's that elite and uh, off to a slow start as well this year. And in the National League, Larry, who's your dud pitcher there? Well, I'll say Matt Kane, who I I got Matt Kane on an NFBC team, and I just I just cut him. Apparently, he's you know got some ongoing issues with his arm and may not be healthy. And if he can pitch, he may not be nearly as you know effective as he has been. So uh, on the pitching side, Larry Schechter likes uh, Masahiro Tanaka for duds, as well as uh, Jeff Samarja, and in the National League, Matt Kane. Uh, Larry, appreciate you taking the time today. Can you tell our listeners where they can read more from you? Uh, well, everything I have to say as far as fantasy baseball strategy and thoughts are in my book called Winning Fantasy Baseball. It's available um, at Amazon, at Barnes & Noble. It's most it's available in paperback and most ebook versions, Kindle, Nook, uh, Google, iTunes, etc. Um, and there's information about it on my, on my website, which is winningfantasybaseballthebook.com. So that has really everything I have to say from beginning to end about pre preseason preparation for a draft, strategy for a draft, uh, because the strategy is different, whether it's a, a mono-league auction or mixed-league auction or snake draft or salary cap. There's some similarities and, the, and there's some important differences in all the formats. So really everything I have to say is in there. And, um, you know, I would say it's not it's not like the, the, the normal stuff that you've heard. You know, it's like I think people, you know, see a fantasy baseball book and then they go, oh, this is just all the crap I've heard a million times before. And I would say, no, it's not. It's not because... Um, most of the stuff you've heard before is wrong. I think most of the conventional wisdom that's out there doesn't even make any sense. I disagree with most of it. and In some cases, I think I actually prove that it's nonsense. Uh, I always feel awkward saying this, but do you tweet? Uh, yes, I do. I'm on Twitter at Larry Schechter, L-A-R-R-Y-S-C-H-E-C-H-T-E-R. <laughs> it just sounds funny to me to say to yeah, another know, I know. man. <laughs> Do you tweet? Glad you said it, not me. Huh? <laughs> Larry, thanks very much for talking with us. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I can heartily recommend the uh, the book, Winning Fantasy Baseball. I read it every year along with Ball Four as I get set up for my uh, annual baseball experience. I really appreciate you taking the time. Okay, thanks, Patrick. Larry Schechter is a multiple champion of many experts' leagues, and he's the author of the bestseller, Winning Fantasy Baseball. Next up, we have our Baseball HQ commentaries, our minor league minute, playing time, and frequent flyer commentaries coming up. This is Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. 
The season is underway and BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with features like our Bullpen Buyer's Guide, where this week Doug Dennis covers all the changes from Week 1 in Major League Baseball. The Starting Pitcher's Buyer's Guide, where Stephen Nickrand has Week 1 observations from the rotations. And we have our Market Pulse column, where this week Matt Cederholm looks at odds and ends from draft day, with notes on players like Kenneth Vargas of the Twins, Gerard Dyson of the Royals, Wilmer Flores of the Mets, and many more. Also, we'll have our performance validation in Facts and Flukes, roster coverage in Playing Time Today and Playing Time Tomorrow, daily matchup reports, team coverage, projections and game management tools, a great set of tools all updated every day to help you dominate your league. And it's all in one place, the website with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Tuesday commentaries. We have our playing time and frequent flyers commentaries coming right up. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Cubs catching prospect Kyle Schwarber is BaseballHQ.com Minor League's analyst Rob Gordon. While the 2015 Minor League Baseball season has finally gotten underway, it's way too early to read much into hot or slow starts. But one interesting development is that the Chicago Cubs continue to see 2014 first-rounder Kyle Schwarber as their catcher of the future. Most scouts and analysts agreed that Schwarber had the best raw power in last year's draft, but reviews of his catching abilities were less optimistic, and the Cubs raised more than a few eyebrows when they nabbed him with a fourth overall pick. Schwarber quickly showed that the offensive upside was legit, as he hit 344 with a 428 on base percentage and a 634 slugging percentage. He had 18 doubles and 18 home runs while playing at three different levels, but he spent the bulk of his time playing left field and logged only 20 games at catcher. At 6 foot 235 pounds, Schwarber is stockier and less agile than is ideal for the position. But the Cubs saw enough in Schwarber, particularly in his work ethic and leadership skills, to give him an extended look behind the plate, even if it means delaying the arrival of his bat in their lineup. For now, Schwarber will be the everyday backstop for the Tennessee Smokies, and while the jury is still very much out as to whether or not Kyle Schwarber can stick behind the plate, fantasy owners can still dream on a backstop with the potential to hit 300 with 30 home runs in the majors. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. This week, our extensive prospect coverage continues with teams to watch in low A and high A this season. And remember, all season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, and the entire HQ Prospects team have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week in the call-ups report, Colorado right-handers Eddie Butler and Scott Oberg, Arizona right-hander A.J. Shugel, Minnesota right-hander Trevor May, and many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our new playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean changes in which players could be getting more chances or riding the pine. In this week's edition, looking at Cleveland starter Danny Salazar, here's analyst Ryan Bloomfield. BaseballHQ.com's Bob Berger recently pointed to the lack of depth in the Cleveland Indians rotation entering the season. Corey Kluber's the undisputed ace, followed by Carlos Carrasco and Trevor Bauer, and new starters TJ House and Zach McAllister round out the rotation for now. There isn't much beyond them, though. Uh, Gavin Floyd and Josh Tomlin were thought to be factors entering the season, but injuries have derailed those hopes. Floyd may be out for the year, and Tomlin probably out until the second half, and even then, he's a pretty big risk. 
So that leaves Danny Salazar as the one to target here. Uh, Salazar has been inconsistent for sure, and he's had a rough spring, um, but he's got the skills to succeed if he's called back up to Cleveland. Uh, Salazar struck out over a batter per inning, over 162 career major league frames, uh, thanks to a great swinging strike rate and mid-90s fastball. He did have a 425 ERA last year, uh, but that was well above his 363 expected ERA, and he got even better down the stretch with a 350 ERA and a 4.1 command ratio in the second half. Salazar's put up triple-digit BPVs in his first two major league seasons, which is excellent for a starter. Um, His competition at AAA, guys like Bruce Chen, Sean Markham, and a a few light prospects suggest he'll be the first guy back up uh, should an injury strike Cleveland's current rotation. In playing time tomorrow, Columns, we love to speculate on playing time opportunities, especially with highly skilled guys like Salazar. If you have room on your roster, you may be able to snag him on the cheap and reap the rewards later on this season. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has a playing time commentary here at Baseball HQ Radio every Tuesday. Now it's time for another new feature, our Frequent Flyers Commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and poised to deliver big returns. Here with a look at Miguel Gonzalez, Bruce Rondon, and Archimedes Camonero is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. Now that the season has started, every fantasy owner is looking for players like Jacob deGrom or Charlie Blackman. They're largely ignored by fantasy owners on draft day and after, but they might be hiding in plain sight in your league. In this first edition, we have three of these frequent flyers for you to consider. First, look at the Orioles' Miguel Gonzalez. Fantasy owners flocked to Dylan Bundy and Kevin Gosman on draft day, but largely ignored Gonzalez. However, with the season underway, Bundy and Gosman are in the bullpen, and Gonzalez is in the rotation. Gonzalez won 10 games last season with a 3.23 ERA and 111 strikeouts. But here's the interesting part. Gonzalez won 6 of those games after the All-Star break, where he posted a 2.19 ERA and 11 starts. His second half of 2014 could indicate good things to come in 2015. Our second frequent flyer is Detroit reliever Bruce Rondone. Joe Nathan has gone on the disabled list with a right flexor strain, and Joaquin Soria stepped in as a Tigers closer. But don't lose sight of Rondone. It's not that long since Rondone and his 100-mile-an-hour fastball were getting a lot of attention as the next great closer in Detroit. Rondon is also on the DL with biceps tendonitis, but there's a chance he could work his way back into Detroit's bullpen very quickly. There have been reports of him throwing 100 miles an hour again, and that's just the start of why you should have Rondon on your watch list. Rondon's slider has been highly effective in setting up opposing batters for his fastball this spring. And finally, another reliever who may be even less well-known than Rondon, the Pirates' Archimedes Caminero. You might remember him from Miami last season, but he's currently in the Pirates' bullpen. Keep in mind, we're talking about long shots here, but like Rondon, Caminero also has a 100-mile-an-hour fastball and could eventually close for the Pirates. Even in low-leverage situations, Caminero will help your team with strikeouts this season. Jot those names down. Miguel Gonzalez, Bruce Rondon, and Archimedes Caminero are first frequent flyers for the 2015 season. For Baseball HQ Radio, 
I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers commentary here on Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, April 14th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 17 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest expert on this Tuesday edition of the show, Larry Schechter of Winning Fantasy Baseball. Always fun to talk with Larry. He knows a lot about what it takes to win this game. And I want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Minor League Minute analyst was Rob Gordon. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our frequent flyers commentator was Alex Becky. Hope you enjoyed those new segments. We'll have them for the rest of the season. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. Yes, we tweet. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed, because I tweet too, at Patrick Davitt. More importantly, though, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8-star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular news and notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.